Hey, I'm J. Emery Parker. And I'm Brooks Brunson. And this is Understand South Carolina. Woohoo! So, uh, Brooks, how was your Tuesday morning? So, Tuesday was weird. I was kind of out of it. And I came to the newsroom and everyone was like in a frenzy. What is going on? And I was like, Ed was running like 10 minutes late, 9-10. And I looked at Matt Clouth, our engagement editor, and I was like, hey, did you pull the numbers for the morning meeting? And he's like, there is no morning meeting. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and I heard him say, Sanford wants to debate Trump. And that's what I heard. And I was like, what is that's I don't, why is that a big deal? And then I overheard Caitlin Bird, who is our guest today. Hello, Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, guys. I can't remember exactly. I heard her say something and I was like, wait, is Sanford running for president? And Caitlin was like, yes, don't ask me questions. I was kidding. (laughs) But she was like very focused in on getting the story together because she had it first. Anyway, it was really exciting morning. My adrenaline was like crazy. We had some time, but not like a ton of time to get this all together and get all the digital things done and the story out there. And Yeah, I mean, it's it it is really exciting because it's not very often that we get um not very often that we get to like break national news and that you just know as soon as you hit publish on that story, it's just you're going to get to watch. We have a little thing in our newsroom where it shows you shows us in real time how all the different articles are doing. And it's just fun to hit publish and watch the little chart go on and just go wild. There's nothing that brings me more joy than watching <laughs> <laughs> analytics numbers go up. Yeah. But yeah, that was a great day. And it was especially cool because like she had the story. No one else had it. And normally when breaking news happens, it's like a very rushed situation. But we like, you know, probably spent 30 minutes. Like, I mean, obviously, Caitlin had to write the story. But we also had time, you know, from my team's perspective to like get all the digital components together Mm -hmm. and make sure that like we got it out on all of the digital channels first and quickly and accurately with the right headlines and those sorts of things. So I'm still tired. I'm still (laughs) tired. I mean, I feel like and, and then every day since Tuesday has been living and just making sure that I eat when I'm supposed to. <laughs> uh, I haven't, I didn't have a full meal for the first like 48 hours after that story broke oh until my gosh. last night. Like, yeah, I was living on like, uh, what are those like protein one bars? Uh-huh. Like I got that for breakfast. <laughs> Life uh, of a journalist. Coffee. I'd been doing really well about like having eggs and other healthy things for breakfast, but Tuesday happened and I just, you were talking about your adrenaline, Brooks. I feel. Oh, no, I'm sure yours is much higher. Um, <laughs> I was on that digital rush, but you were like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah. I when I actually got into the newsroom Tuesday morning after having coffee with Mark Sanford, I feel like that's when the black coffee that I had really hit the bloodstream. Because um, so the way that this all kind of went down, I'm actually really happy to talk about this because I think that there's this perception about how political reporters. Are and that we're all, you know, kind of what you see on Fox News and CNN, and we're barking questions in hallways, and we're just very transactional and making sure that we get people on the record and then get out and and just write the the story. And the real truth about political reporters is that we have to be masterful at building relationships and maintaining relationships with people. Right. That's what was just so wild about this to me. It was like. Because I had heard you setting up, I didn't know who you were talking to on Monday evening. So Caitlin Mm -hmm. sits by me in the newsroom and I heard her on the phone with somebody being like, yeah, I'll meet you early tomorrow morning. I was like, I wonder who she's interviewing. And then she comes in at nine with this like wild story. But yeah, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like and how you got the story first? Yeah. So just to kind of back up and give a a broad perspective here. um, So I 
am still somewhat new to covering politics. Um, I've been doing it full-time on the desk for, what, maybe a year and a half, too. Um, and the first congressional race that I ever got to cover was Mark Sanford's 2018 congressional race. That turned out to be the most dramatic, the most unexpected political race that South Carolina has seen in decades. Lucky me. Um, <laughs> and, um, just for the readers who might not quite know, what was so dramatic about it? So what was so dramatic is that at almost every possible political point, something unexpected happened. So starting with— That was so the truth. <laughs> so starting with the fact that um, if we start with the GOP primary election day, Mark Sanford has never lost a race in his entire political career, right? So he's gearing up. But he's sort of been in the fight of his political life for months um, against State Representative Katie Arrington, who is still a fairly, you know, new person on the Republican stage, if you will. She had been a state lawmaker, but I mean, Mark Sanford has been a governor. He has been a congressman and he was an incumbent congressman at the time of this GOP primary. So he never lost. And there was this current in the air and this question of whether or not this would be the first time he lost because he even won a special election in 2013 after his infamous 2009 hiking on the Appalachian Trail reference. Right, so he's like come back from a lot. You know, you, they call him the comeback kid for a reason. Right. Um, and so on that primary election day, President Donald Trump tweets against Mark Sanford. He lays waste to one of his own members of the Republican Party and supports Katie Arrington and urges South Carolina voters to do the, to do the same about three hours before polls close. It's a rainy election day. How much that tweet played into what happened is still somewhat up for debate, but we actually did write about that, and it made a huge impact. It made a huge impact when you're talking about thousands of votes. That phone call, because a robocall was made about that tweet right after it happened by the Arrington campaign, um, that got Republican voters out to the polls, and Mark Sanford lost. So, yeah, that was yeah, that's kind of how you got to— uh, yeah. know him as a source was through covering that race mm -hmm. through covering that race and I will never forget that that day I was embedded with him riding around with him in his black Chevy Suburban beat up SUV there's mud on the mud flaps it's there's still a little bit of like Wait, dirt pause. on the window why is there oh from the rain from the rain I was like did Mark Sanford go mudding <laughs> <laughs> he does have a farm <laughs> so maybe but, yeah, it had been rainy, but I sat in the front seat. He put the New York Times reporter in the back seat, and we rode around with Mark Sanford all day in what turned out to be his last political ride, or so we thought. There Until was that. now. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Until now. Yeah. Even though Mark lost that race, we stayed in touch. One, because he was still in office. Uh, he was a, basically a lame duck congressman at that point uh, when the general election was going on. And for those who don't know, what ended up happening was Katie Arrington did not win. A Democrat, Joe Cunningham, was elected to the seat. First time a Democrat was elected to this seat for the first time in almost 40 years. So, again, drama at every turn. And in between Katie's uh, loss and Joe's win, Katie Arrington got into a very severe car accident. So we didn't even know what was going to happen. We didn't know if Mark Sanford was going to be able to get back into the race, if Katie was going to drop out, if Katie was going to be able to run still. Didn't the, the passenger in her car die? No. Or the driver of the other vehicle. The driver of the other car died. That's it. That's the driver it. of the yeah. other vehicle died. 
Katie's friend, Jackie, survived. Survived, yeah. But okay, okay. It was a long road to recovery for both of them. Mm-hmm. And regardless of anyone's political leanings, I mean, it's a real testament to someone's strength mm-hmm. to not only get into a severe car accident, but then continue running for Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, it was dramatic at every yeah, every part of the District turn. 1 race was just The race wild. wasn't called on election night until after 2 a.m. Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were up. And my computer died that night, oh, too. And no one knows that. Razor close. I didn't know that. I mean, <laughs> and then my cell phone died the next day. I was, I remember I did send a push notification 3 a.m. Then this week happened. <laughs> Mark Sanford and I, so we stay in touch. And that's what I was trying to sort of start to talk about, which is the fact that when you cover politics, you cover people. And that's something that I really try to emphasize to any candidate whose race I end up covering. It's usually one of the first five conversations I have with them when I'm not on deadline. I will tell people, look, I'm in this for the long haul. And when we're talking about raw statistics of elections, nine times out of 10, the people that I'm talking to are not going to win. That doesn't mean they're going to go away. That doesn't mean that what encouraged or inspired them to run for office is going to disappear after November. It will linger. They usually will do something again, whether it's politics or an advocacy group or something else. So basically, you're not they're like— They're going to stay You're in not some like, way. bye, Mark Sanford. You're still mm-hmm. going to like— Right. You don't want to burn bridges because you never know where those bridges could lead. And so we stayed in touch not only because he was still a congressman at the time until January when Joe Cunningham became the new congressman, but Mark Sanford in his own right is a political icon. Yeah. Well, that I think so. I think um, at this point, maybe it would make sense to back up a little bit because like that's what we wanted to talk about is, is Mark Sanford. Um, he is really an interesting character. He's probably one of the more famous politicians from the state. He, you know, mm-hmm. maybe one of the few South Carolina politicians that might have national recognition. Not all of it good. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's fair. So, so let's let's uh, give people kind of like a brief history of of Sanford. I, th- I think that would be helpful. So, um, without getting into like the early history, I think he yeah. he raised to prominence. By becoming governor of South Carolina, I, I think is that a good place to start? Do you think? Or? Yeah, I, I think so. But I think we do have to note that he was his first ever foray into politics came in the early nineties. So just yeah. to like set up set the stage, we're talking about Newt Gingrich, George H. W. Bush. We're talking about that era of right. politics, and so he does get elected largely on his push for fiscal conservatism and being financially responsible and addressing issues like the national debt, debt and government spending. That's important because it's part of what has driven his entire political career. But yeah, he definitely gains more name ID after serving three terms in Congress in the 90s. He runs for governor in 2002. He wins. He's famous for a couple of things that happened when he was governor. One of them being that he brought squealing pigs onto the state house yeah. floor. Oh my gosh, right. Uh, yeah, he did that to make a point about pork spending. He had two pigs like under his arms. He walks in into a very formal place with squealing pigs. So he's not afraid to make a splash. Uh, and then in 2009, which is probably what he is most famous for, which is his most infamous chapter in politics, is saying that he was hiking the Appalachian Trail and actually come to find out he was in Argentina with his mistress at the time. And at this point, too, to set the stage, 
This is when Mark Sanford was the president of the Republican Governors Association. So he has kind of a more traditional GOP backing, potentially donors. People are looking at him. He rejects President Obama's stimulus spending money, which is a huge deal at the time, especially for Republicans. He said, no, we don't want it. And so he's rising through the ranks and people are thinking, hey, maybe this guy would be a good mm-hmm. presidential candidate. And then the app trail happened. And it was, it was and- an absolutely wild story because like – to live through it, I mean, I, like I was a kid, but yeah, I, mean, I, was I, I, I remember, and I was here in South Carolina. Uh, the story started out as the governor is missing. Yeah, no one knew where he was, <laughs> and the reporter who actually broke that story, I think they're a reporter for the state, which I give a hat tip to. She was in an airport, mm-hmm. and she saw him. Yeah, that's how he what? got found I don't out. Even, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah, that's how he got found out. I and actually saw him in an airport last month. Side note. <laughs> Side <laughs> it, was bar. it was in Chicago. He was supposed to be there. But anyway. Oh, yeah, doing the teaching fellow. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he when he does emerge, um, and it is now known that the staffer who said that Mark was hiking the Appalachian Trail, that that was a lie. Now he holds this press conference, and it's very dramatic. We're talking about tons of press, like, um, squished together in like one big hallway. And I say squished together in a big hallway, not because I can't paint a scene properly, but because this was so dramatic to Emory's mm-hmm. point. It had like New York Times, Washington Post, everybody and their cousin was there to cover this because no one knew what was going to happen. Oh, yeah, I, re- I remember like Channel 4 in Greenville, they had like a live shot of, of the airport. Yeah. Like, you know, no waiting, one waiting. knew. No one knew what was going to happen. Uh, Mark ends up having this very tearful press conference. His wife, Jenny, is not at his side for it, which yeah. is also big since up until that point when we're talking about political sex scandals, usually the wife stood by their politician and their husband, and Jenny would not do that. Mm-hmm. They're no longer married. And so that was huge. But remember, Mark stayed in the governor's office. He did not step down. He was not thrown out. He stayed. He did step down as president of the Republican Governors Association, though, but he continued to be the governor. Uh, of South Carolina. And then after all this happens, 2013 is like his next big comeback moment, right? Because it's this huge litmus test. There'd been some reshuffling in the first congressional district, which is where we are based here in Charleston. And Tim Scott got moved around, Nikki Haley, all this stuff. All these, all these, all these people got moved around. Mark Sanford saw an opening. There was a 2013 special election. He ends up running in the general against Elizabeth Colbert Bush, who is related to Stephen Colbert, yeah. His sister. So that was another wild election. Another wild thing. <laughs> and um, and he wins. And this blows people's minds, not only in South Carolina, but in the national media, because at that point, the idea on paper of a conservative Republican who had a sex scandal running for re-election and then winning re-election. It's not even re-election. It's a special election. He wins. It kind of shatters these assumptions about what the South mm-hmm. will and didn't won't it, forgive. Didn't the, uh, huh. didn't the National Republican um, Committee withhold support for for him or some some funding during that? I election? think they did. I yeah. I would have to double check that, but it's ringing some headline bells for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I what, what I recall most about that election was the um the the was really <laughs> there there could not possibly have been a bigger difference in the um campaigns that were run mm-hmm. and like. The the Colbert Bush campaign was was as traditional as you can imagine, and then I remember from the Sanford campaign, there were these just like plywood signs, yep, like spray painted, yeah, um, you know, completely different 
vibes to, mm-hmm. to both of those campaigns. So it was it was, I think, really dramatic and, and surprising and yeah, shifted the narrative a lot on on what could yeah. happen. And then he kept that seat until twenty eighteen when he lost it in the Republican primary and he admitted afterwards that he lost in part because he wasn't Trump enough. Yeah. Which brings us to a really interesting point where we are now that he's considering whether or not in the next thirty days to primary President Donald Trump, the very person who helped get him kicked out of office, mm-hmm. ele- voted out of office, I should say, but it was dramatic, you guys. <laughs> One thing that you said earlier that kind of fascinated me was when Stanford was elected to Congress in 2013, you said something like, it was pretty wild to see a re- Republican coming off of a sex scandal get elected. And then you kind of look at Trump, you know, had a number of sexual-ish scandals, I guess. Yeah, it's a sex uh, scandals, you can say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know, I but it's ironic because they don't like each other and now yeah. they're enemies in a way, political enemies in a way. And so it's kind of fascinating. There's a lot of public fighting between the two. Um, it was actually really interesting. Uh, I have Google alerts set up for all kinds of people. And I still had one set for Mark Sanford just because you never know what people are going to do. And I remember getting a notification. And what it was was I guess someone was updating their files at Reuters or something. And Reuters is like a national news outlet. And it was a clip of Mark Sanford shaking Donald Trump's hand on Inauguration Day, like as Trump was making his way to the mall. And it just like was so wild to me to see them so cordial. It was like a split second. But you can definitely tell it's Mark Sanford and you can definitely tell it's Donald Trump and they shake hands and he says congratulations and that's that. So it's wild to me to have found that after Everything happened, and then now where we are today, after who knows what will come next. It's just, I covered this man for the last two years, which is nothing compared to what this whole newsroom has done. Um, We have had reporters write books about him and his incredible political comebacks. It's just so interesting and fascinating to me that a coffee conversation with him at 8.15 on a Tuesday, where we talked for about 30 or 45 minutes, resulted in this so what it, what does it mean that he's thinking about primarying president trump what what, what would that what is that <laughs> can that happen <laughs> can, yeah can that can you do that you you can you can try <laughs> the thing is it depends on what the end goal is and in some ways Mark Sanford has always been pushing pocketbook issues. So this is part and parcel of who he is. This is that motivator that drives him to have those plywood signs, to go publicly and say, I'm thinking about primarying the president. We almost forget, and I had to go look it up when everything was happening, that there have been Republicans and Democrats who have challenged incumbent presidents. But there has it doesn't mean that they win the primary. Right. Well, I mean, we have had incumbent presidents, but they haven't faced serious challengers in this century. Mm -hmm. But they have, these challengers can make a difference. So I went and looked it up and I found this so interesting, right? So we can look at 1992 with Pat Buchanan and George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush is the incumbent. What happens in the primary? Pat Buchanan loses, but you know Bush lost to Clinton in the general. Mm -hmm. 1980, Democrat... Ted Kennedy goes up against incumbent Jimmy Carter. What happens? Jimmy Carter gets the gets the nomination, but Reagan beats Carter in mm-hmm. the general. Going back to Republicans in 76, 
Reagan versus Gerald Ford. Ford's the incumbent after Nixon resigns. Ford had assumed the presidency. Mm -hmm. And Reagan almost, almost upset Ford at the Republican convention. And then Ford lost to Carter. Yeah. So we did it almost in reverse, you know, going from 92 to uh, 1976. But it begs the question Mm -hmm. as to what the goal is if he pursues running against an incumbent president and whether the goal isn't so much to become the president, but whether the goal is to force a conversation that he sees as not happening in an ideological sense for the Republican Party right now in the age of Trump, and whether or not that can be enough for a Democrat to beat Trump. Mm -hmm. Can Mark Sanford, if, this is our big capital letter ifs, can he almost in some ways by forcing these conversations cause voters to stop and think about where are the priorities of the Republican Party right now, potentially point some holes out there, which could then, Democrats could then pick up and say, oh, we'll handle it, Mm -hmm. we'll tackle it, which I think would be pretty interesting considering some of the proposals for like free college and things like that. But it, it does beg the question of whether or not a primary challenge isn't so much about becoming a presidential nominee in your own right, but whether it's about really forcing an incumbent to work their butts off right, to prove that they are the embodiment of that political party. Mm-hmm. And now in the age of President Donald Trump, who has turned politics on its head, right. what does that mean? Yeah. And that's what we're, you know, that's the big if about what could this mean? And even starting to have this conversation, even if he doesn't actually do it, we're talking about it. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's, that's really interesting. I didn't know about that history. Um, the the question you raise is really interesting. I, I, I think maybe there's one other way to, to look at it. Like, is it evidence that having a primary challenge damages the president's reelection campaign? Or is it, could it be the other way around, where if you have a primary challenge, that is a sign that you were already like, a weekend candidate for president. For it sounds re-election. like a political oh, chicken yeah. and egg. Yeah, <laughs> right there could could be a little bit of both. You it know? could be a little bit of both, but I mean, with the examples that we pointed out, these primary challengers they weren't ultimately successful, but they were successful in exposing problem areas. So, like, but dumb. So, if they yeah. if they do a good job in the primary, if they do a good job of making the case, it's almost like you don't need the percentage you don't need the votes but if you can make the case if you can create enough of a question mark in someone's mind to make them rethink what is the republican party or what is the democratic party stand for does it represent what i think it should right now and if you can make that pitch especially right now if mark sanford could make that pitch to never trumpers mm-hmm. who who do exist in the republican party so yeah that was my question though is have any like Republicans come up and said like yes we want Sanford? Well, you want you want to talk about the state party's response? Well, yeah, they, they were not they were not feeling it. <laughs> they were, they, <laughs> not having it. Yeah, Drew McKissick as uh, um, chairman of the South Carolina Republican Party, he issued a statement um, probably about an hour after we broke that story, um, saying something to the effect of the last time that Mark Sanford had an idea this stupid, it cost him the governorship. Mm-hmm. So. And and I also point this out in the article. We also ha- it was that statement was later tweeted from the South Carolina GOP Twitter account. The Twitter account, their cover image is 
Trump Pence logo. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting time. Um and it's really interesting too. Not only was that response just fascinating from a political standpoint because wow, they just laid waste to one of their own, but we've seen that now. We saw that in yeah. 2018. But what really made it interesting is that it's not like Sanford was is some random Republican. He used to be the governor here. Right. That's a that's an executive branch position. It's right. not the executive branch, but in state government, the governor is the executive. Yes, yeah, I mean, like, really it, it, is, it is really, really fascinating to see, I mean, somebody who, you know, despite all of their scandals and, and you know, controversial images, I, I think, you know, it probably at this point would have would be fair to call him like one of the elder statesmen of the Republican, South Carolina Republican establishment or I mean, he might bristle at being called establishment, but <laughs> yeah, he's never really been but, a, a pure establishment yeah. guy. He he has some but he's, libertarian he's leanings, the, but one of the like he's like a, you know the top of the roster of of like South Carolina Republican names. So it's it's really fascinating to see such a. Of course, you know it's it's also weird to take on an an incumbent president from your own party. So yeah, it, everything about it is the rulebook's been thrown <laughs> out the window, y'all. It's 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 out the window and. And when we're talking about the primaries themselves, that brings in another layer of conundrum and what's going to happen if he does. Again, capitalize the I and the F. But for South Carolina, our Republican primary has been one of the most consistent predictors of Republican presidential candidacies in the country. Since 1980, which is when South Carolina's Republican Party moved up its primary date to be the first in the South, um, it wasn't the Democrats who did that. It was the Republicans. They did that to raise their profile nationally. Ever since, the winner of the South Carolina Republican primary has gone on to become the GOP nominee every single time since 1980, except for 2012. And that's when they went for Newt Gingrich. Um, and we know that the nomination actually went to Mitt Romney. Mm. So, yeah, so South Carolina really— So will South Carolina actually entertain even having yeah. a primary? Well, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask. Is like, is it— an executive committee meets in September. Yeah. Is there going to be a, a primary? <laughs> well, Governor McMaster told us back in March. So this is before Mark jumped in. Um, McMaster said that he welcomed a primary, which is interesting, too, because remember, Governor Henry McMaster was the first state uh, statewide yeah. public official in the country, in the entire country, to endorse Donald Trump when he was still a candidate. But it's like, what would that what would that even look like? Isn't that kind of weird to have like a I don't know. I guess there's I guess a couple arguments. What normally happens when when an incumbent president is running for re-election? Well, what what is the state? What do the state parties normally do? Do they? Well, it depends. Normally, yeah. it's not necessarily about standing firm with your incumbent. Sometimes it's just the incumbent is the assumed and presumed nominee. Yeah. And as a state party, do you want to spend the money? To put on a primary, mm-hmm. to have an election, to coordinate with all the state and county election offices, to have the ballots, to have the machines, to staff them. I mean, it's a question of can we afford to do it? But it is also a larger question about party unity because more than, than – because these conventions aren't just about rallying Republicans and voting. It really is about coming together as a party and mobilizing toward that next election. So for some Republicans, this is a decision that's already been made. Trump is the nominee. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. We know how this is going to end. What's the point of even entertaining it? For other Republicans, 
why not? Let's just have the transparent conversation. We know which way it will likely go, but why not just entertain and have the conversation and maybe address some of the fractures in the party? Why mm. not? So to be clear, Sanford told us that he's like mulling. He is season. mulling. He That's he why like there's a lot. officially said that he is going to. He's taking the next 30 days right. to decide how to best move forward because he wants to keep pushing this issue of debt, deficit, and government spending and how the country needs to address it. He wants to do that no matter what. He's trying to figure out right now what's the best path forward. Is that path, as his friends have told him for the last year, primarying President Trump? Or is it forming an advocacy group, forming a think tank, something mm-hmm. like that? Well, so if he does primary the president, is it, just to be clear, is he talking about like doing that on a nationwide scale or is he specifically talking about in South Carolina? Because like, as you mentioned, South Carolina is a, a big influential mm-hmm. one and, and it would make sense. But is it like, what if, what if South Carolina, if he decides to do it in South Carolina is like, you know what? No, we're not going to actually have a primary in this state. Would do you, do you think he would? I mean, he could take it elsewhere. Yeah. He's not just looking to think about South Carolina. He is a South Carolina guy. You'll notice that even when he's done spots and hits recently on CNN and the view and, Fox and MSNBC that he hasn't been going to New York to do these interviews. He's been doing mm-hmm. them out of a studio in Charleston. He's he's a local boy, yeah, uh, which is weird to say for someone who's far older than I am. <laughs> but he he really does feel that way. He he has told me and others many times that he, this is home. He will live and he will die in the Low Country. Um, but when we're talking about whether or not he's going to run for run as a Republican, which he's very, very clear about. He would not want to be an independent candidate. Um, run as a Republican in the 2020 presidential. He has to look, he would have to look beyond South Carolina, and right. he knows that. And in Iowa, they have caucuses, which is a whole different can of worms. And for that, it's, it's an open process, so that means someone just would need to put his name up for him to be considered. In New Hampshire, it's a little bit more formalized. He would have to pay a $1,000 filing fee. But... He's Mark Sanford money. has plenty of yeah. money to do that. So I've seen, you know, with the, uh, what's his name, Drew McKissick mm-hmm. said, and I've seen, you know, a lot of responses on social media that are pretty much mostly negative about Sanford mm-hmm. um, on on both sides of the equation, yeah, on the right and the left. Uh, but have you seen anybody, uh, especially on the Republican end, like a prominent political figure, like get behind Sanford? Does an emoji count? <laughs> um... Maybe. Elaborate, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so he's not technically a Republican anymore, but Congressman Justin Amash, who, like uh, Sanford, yeah. has also been vocal about his dislike of the president. and First his- uh, first Republican to call for the impeachment of, of Trump. Correct. Oh. But not, not interestingly, he's, he's like Sanford. He's not... They not, work together not, in the not, Freedom not exactly, Caucus. Yeah, not, not like a moderate Republican. He's... he's um, they're more he's, he's, Yeah, they're more, more like... Libertarian, yeah, yeah, that's a good a good term. Yeah, they worked together in the Freedom Caucus, um, and when the news broke that Sanford is publicly thinking about doing this, he retweeted he retweeted it, and he used the one hundred emoji. I think that's an endorsement. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. He's it's into tricky. it. <laughs> it's tricky, but Amash is like Amash is a political figure and a political icon in his own right too. Yeah. And 
he has also been getting questions about whether he would run against Trump, but as an independent. He hasn't ruled that out, which is interesting. So with Samford publicly thinking about it, I wonder, and this is really just me wondering, I wonder if that changes any dynamics for Amash since mm. he's younger and maybe let Samford go first or maybe let Samford give it a shot. But at the same time, they're very, very different. They're very different candidates. They would be different candidates if they ran. Um, for one, Mark Sanford didn't write an op-ed about why he left the Republican Party. Mark Sanford says he is in the Republican Party, and it's his party, and he's not going to leave it. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing they do have in common is that they don't recognize the Republican Party as it stands today. Yeah. What started the rift, like, specifically between Trump and Sanford? That's a great question. I mean, no. <laughs> I don't remember. I remember Mark Sanford being fairly vocal after Trump's comments about Charlottesville and there uh, being good people on both sides. I do remember Mark Sanford coming out and uh, publicly questioning that and condemning it. I just wonder if, you know, Sanford has been very careful um, and not saying like, this is your story. And when I saw him talking on TV, he wasn't like, oh, I like hate Trump. So I'm doing this. Or, you know, he was even kind of walking around like the, recent controversial tweets that Trump did. I, mean, I, don't, mm -hmm. I don't think that Sanford directly said they were racist, right? Yeah, no, he, he called them weird and noxious. Yeah. He called them weird and noxious. He was asked about it again today on The View, and he responded by saying uh, some version of, if it acts like a duck, it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. <laughs> and then they pushed him, is it racist? He said, well, yeah. All right. Oh, well, yeah. It's a, so, it's a soft yes, but it's a yes. But to your point, no. I mean, he's not raising the issue of Donald Trump as a Republican president as being an issue with his rhetoric, with his handling of things, with his treatment of the Oval Office, with things that have bristled a lot of Republicans. Even if they like the policies, they may not like the personality um, behind it sometimes. Sanford, the way he puts it is that there are plenty of people who are going to be talking about Donald Trump and his rhetoric and his tweets and whatever the latest divisive thing is that he throws out into the ether. Because he's the president of the United States, all of us, even in the media in some ways, are forced to respond um, and cover and find out, is it offensive? How are people going to react? And so to Sanford's point, whether you agree that it's a good political decision or whether you don't, and I'm not saying that I either endorse or, or don't think this is a good idea, I just think it's interesting, he is basically making the argument that there are plenty of people who can discuss the merits of whether or not Trump is problematic as a leader. He doesn't want to talk about that. He wants to talk about the debt deficit. And government spending. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's going to be an interesting sell. I think that's, a, yeah, because you would yeah. other, you would expect it to be a lot about the rhetoric. And he's going seen... to get those questions. He yeah. has to know. I mean, at this point, he has to know. He's a longtime politician. He knows that he's not going to be able to face, he's not going to be able to ignore the questions of the day that come his way. If he really does uh, decide to move forward and, and mount a, a challenge to the president, he knows he's going to be in some ways, it's going to be like a tennis match. It's going to be, he said this, and, and volley back. And people are going to ask him about it all the time. How successful, if he moves forward, will he be in that endeavor? 
is something that no crystal ball could ever answer right now. There's mm-hmm. just too much unknown. And he's uh-huh. given 30 days, so everyone's watching the calendar. I know that. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, we certainly are. Yeah, so um, probably can wrap this up here. Yeah. Uh, to our readers out there, uh, this is Caitlin Bird. Uh, Caitlin, will you be uh, following the story more? Yes. And how can readers find you? Find your work. G- oh, give them that spelling. I will. Gosh. <laughs> I will do. Th- okay. So my name is Caitlin Bird. It's Caitlin with C's and I's and Bird with a Y. C-A-I-T-L-I-N. Bird, B-Y-R-D. You can email me at cbyrd at postandcourier.com. Anytime. The and is spelled out. You can tweet at me. My handle is at Mary, M-A-R-Y, Caitlin Bird. And you can sign up for the South Carolina Palmetto Politics Newsletter, which is free. Good follow. I I endorse. Yeah, it's a good good newsletter. Mm -hmm. It's free. And uh, it's a labor of love that happens Mm -hmm. every morning between the hours of 6 a.m. When she's not meeting with Mark Sanford for coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I I go meet with Mark after. (laughs) (laughs) Additionally... I should note that we are going to have our Pints and Politics event, which is really a cool informal gathering where we get to talk to politicians. And we're going to have Mark Sanford yeah. coming on. Oh, yeah. We're going to we're gonna talk. Um, the event is free. It's going to be at the Container Bar um, in downtown Charleston from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. We're going to strongly encourage people to carpool. Mm-hmm. Um, parking can get a little bit scarce there, but there is free street parking available surrounding Container Bar. But if I were you, I would definitely carpool with a friend or call an Uber or a Lyft or something because now that Mark Sanford might be running for president, there's probably going to be a lot of people there. And we're going to talk with Mark about it. We're going to maybe hopefully get an update on where he's Ooh. where he is now. Um, this was all scheduled before this happened, too. <laughs> amazing. So it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so come and join yeah. us. It's free. Go check that out. Emery, do you think you understand South Carolina? I, yeah, definitely I do. Like, like I was saying at the beginning, it's, it's Mark Sanford is an interesting character in South mm-hmm. Carolina politics. I, I don't think I, I appreciated how how many primary challenges there had been in the past. And given South Carolina's prominence in the like calendar, the political calendar, mm-hmm. that is that's really kind of interesting and provocative to me that that maybe um, a South Carolina politician could, you know, kind of punch above their weight a little bit because just because of that, if they wanted to yeah so how about you how about you brooks do you think you understand south carolina better i kind of was just like holy crap this whole episode <laughs> about like how much like drama has surrounded mark sanford over the years like you know you see it in lifetime and you're like oh yeah like this is crazy like district one this is crazy mm-hmm. when you put it in the context of like all of the like splashes this guy has made it's like wow man wow mark you're a wild guy mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, that. so I do feel like I understand. How about you, Caitlin? You, you better understand South Carolina? I feel like I have to. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I understand better Mark Sanford. But I know that he's a person that you'll never be able to fully understand. He's very enigmatic. But I'm glad that he came to us with this news. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, Mark. And thank you, listeners. Um, until next time. All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. 
We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcareer.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later. Later.